If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free and everyone loves free. Second, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which makes it very convenient. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Finally, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So take a moment to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bookshelf. I'm so excited and so happy to be back, and I have a brand new guest here with me today. His name is Brian Carroll, and he is the author of Super Sharing, and this is what his book looks like. So, hi, Brian. Thank you so much for coming. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Good, good. So we normally just jump right in, mm-hmm. and I, re- I had the opportunity to read your book. I don't have kids. But I thought it was a really good book with a really great message for kids and adults. Yes. And it was an easy read, but really impactful. So what I wanted to ask you is what caused (coughs) you to write this book at this particular point in time? Well, uh, I've been teaching for about nine years. And I do, I'm certified in special education, so I do the behavior class. Okay. So the kids that are considered hard to reach or at risk. And I noticed that... uh, a lot of kids didn't really have basic social skills. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we get so affected by the traumas and the different things that happen in our life, we recycle our pain and give it to other people. So I wanted to figure out a way to get to the kids to push literacy, make it fun and engaging, and you know, something for them to read. Because I wanted the kids reading more, but I wanted them to learn as well. Gotcha. So do, is, this, is this story based off of a true story, or is it something that you witnessed or experienced you yourself or somebody else that you know? Both. Both, okay. Um, true story. You know, I didn't have that many toys when I was younger, and I always wanted those toys, but after experiencing so much rejection from the kids that always had toys and I didn't, I was like, when I get my toy, I'm going to show them. But then I realized those lessons. And as I teach um, the children, you know, in the classroom, and we roll around and learn these different lessons about life, I want to reciprocate that right, the right type of thing. So I, I put my experiences into a book to try to help them. Okay. So when I first read this story, I thought, you know, this is a cute little boy. He seems to be pleasant, seems to be easygoing, likes the other kids. And then the other kids are mean to him. Yeah. Or, you know, they have something that he wants and then they won't share with him. And so just like what you said, when he got his stuff, then mm-hmm. he didn't want to share with them. And then it became a cycle. So how important is it to break the cycle? Because I know you talked about a little bit about recycling your pain. Mm -hmm. How does that show up in other areas in a a child's life? And what I mean by that is I know that you're a teacher and I used to teach as well. So one of the things that I noticed in my classroom is kids always were dealing with some kind of trauma, whether they talked about it or not. Mm and they would act out in a way that let me know something is not right here. So one of the things I try to do as a teacher is really understand what the kid was going through Mm -hmm. to see how, if if there was any way that I could help them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was just them talking to me, getting them to open up, 
getting them to be honest about what was going on at home, and then I noticed that they would have a change in behavior. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is have you seen the actual cycle um, happen in your classroom or with some of the other kids that you've taught before? And if mm -hmm. so, were you able to help them break it? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a consistent thing. Um, all behaviors are learned behaviors. So I'm looking at the way the kids respond and I'm understanding how the brain works with, you know, anything that you do is something that you've seen. So I want them to understand replacement behaviors. Um, I want them to have um, different things to help them to cope with different situations. But we have to build a loving atmosphere. I always say um, kids learn from who they like and adults buy from who they like, you know. And, and, we, and we know that that's, that has to be true, but they don't care what you know until they know that you care. So I try to create a safe space, a loving space in the classroom where they feel comfortable being vulnerable and honest about it. So that way we can find out what the traumas are because a lot of times we're in denial about what we're going through. You know, and as young men, we're always told, hey, be tough, fight it out. So we're in such denial that we're not even able to combat the issues and confront them because we're not even acknowledging what's really going on. So I try to create that safe space, that loving space in the classroom, that supportive atmosphere that we can get together and understand that sharing can manifest itself in so many different ways, whether it's sharing your thoughts, whether it's sharing your belongings, whether it's sharing your space. You know, because, you know, kids, they argue about any little thing. Somebody sitting in their seat in the schools I worked at, now it's a fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but now I'm just teaching them other ways to, to express themselves. Share your thoughts. It's okay to tell somebody that they've offended you. It's okay to tell somebody how you feel and always get them to acknowledge and be honest about how that made them feel so they can use that thought when they think about doing it to someone else. Because it's easy to try to give that pain that you feel you felt, you know, because hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And that goes at the, the lowest level. Mm -hmm. You know, three, four-year-olds do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we try to teach them those replacement behaviors. And I just try to put it into a book with some kids that look like them, and I read them real animated when I read the story, and we, you know, joke and have the work pages in the back as well. Okay. So... How, the, what grades did you teach when you when you were teaching? I've done elementary, middle, and high school. And okay. the thing about it is, social, from a social skills aspect, the elementary school kids and the high school kids are not that much different. Really? Yeah. You don't think so? There's a term called arrested development. Uh -huh. And depending on the traumas and the things that you've been through in your life, your development is arrested in that aspect. So you're not able to properly grow because you're not being taught. You know, you're not, you're not getting those essential social skills and um, with the way the human brain is formed that it when you're supported and cared for in the right way your brain is being cultivated in the right way and it can grow but when it's not you experience something called arrested development so now you may be 18 but really mentally you're like seven and it manifests itself in your relationships Wow. You know. So is it is the same thing true when it comes to even like full-fledged adults because one thing Absolutely. <laughs> one thing that I've seen um, is how grown people like mm -hmm. grown 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 in age people will act like 22 year olds or 19 year olds or 16 year olds and I'm always wondering like you're too old to mm -hmm. be acting like this or you're too old to be doing this but I guess I never really thought about the term arrested development because I've heard of it mm -hmm. but I didn't know I didn't really know what it meant mm -hmm. and then I didn't know what it meant in this context yes. so I think that that's really I think that's really powerful and I think that uh, the reason why I asked what grades did you teach is because I wanted to see if any of your students read this book and oh, if so what did they think oh they loved it um, first thing they try to clown me and say that my muscles aren't 
that big in Aww. real life. So I said everybody embellishes a little bit, you know. But um, they liked the book. They liked the example. And the thing about it, elementary school kids loved it. But um, these last few years I was at a middle school. The middle school kids probably liked it j more because they were able to think a little deeper. And we could get into deeper conversation about what really went on. And they could mm -hmm. give, I would give them, I would make this into a lesson. So I would ask them to give examples really? of a situation that was similar to that, mm -hmm. to, to get them to write about it, to express themselves, and really start thinking on how they felt and then how they made somebody else feel. Because mm -hmm. most of the kids have been on both sides of the coin, you know. Yeah. So when you said you made this into a lesson, did you actually go a little bit further and turn it into curriculum? Yes. I actually, wow, it's, it's crazy because I never thought that I'd be writing curriculum. Um, I never even made honor roll. Uh, I never got an A except for MPE. But I know. <laughs> but you know, I got I got passionate, and I woke up that sleeping giant within myself um, in college. And I started to realize, you know, I'm I'm so much more than just an athlete. I'm a thinker. I'm a leader. I can do these things. And then when I started reading, I started really forming my brain, working that muscle. And uh, I actually specialize in, in improving behaviors. That's what I. That's one thing I do. I go into classrooms. I improve them. Uh, I get them together. I get the kids motivated. Um, teach the teachers new strategies. So then I turn that into a curriculum based off the uh, core values that I have in the book. Wow. So I know when I was a teacher, before I became a full-time teacher, I was a substitute teacher, okay. and I had to take over someone's classroom that had behavior problems in the classroom. And when I was a sub. Uh, the principal and other assistant principals at the time, they would come and they would check on me because mm -hmm. they knew this class or these students had behavior issues. But when I came in, I didn't have behavior yeah. issues. Same thing. And I didn't under, I'm not gonna say I didn't understand why, I think I just handled them a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. But the, the former teacher, she was so stressed out and mm -hmm. she would cry and she would, you know, make them sit in silence. She didn't want them to talk. She didn't want them to do anything. And this was an animation class. Yeah. So these are creative kids. Mm -hmm. And creative people need outlets to express their creativity. So when I came in there, the assistant principals or the principal, he, they thought, you know, well, Miss Brown, we know this is a problematic class, mm -hmm. problematic students. What problems are you having? And I had to tell them, well, I didn't have any problems. Yeah. And I didn't, and then I did end up having like a fight in my class, which, which was hard, <laughs> but that and that, and, but the cause of that fight was something that triggered, because mm -hmm. it was a fight between two guys, and one of them had been triggered. It was something that somebody said or something that somebody did, and that and it triggered a, a certain type of response for that kid, and mm -hmm. then it caused him to really just lash out. Yes. So one thing that I wanted to talk to you briefly about is, <clears throat> I know that you used to be a football player, is that right? Yes. And you played in college. I played college in a little, like, arena football as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. So have you noticed that there is a correlation between sports and behavior, or is this something that they're not really correlated? It's just kind of like, you know, there are sports kids and there are people it's, that have behavior problems? 100% correlation. Really? Uh, I mean, culturally, mm -hmm. if you study cultures, we're vibrant, you know, we're we're into movement. And if you look at kids now, everything they do, kids know how to learn. They can learn and they can pay attention. You're just not engaging. Mm -hmm. You know, some people just aren't engaging. You know, me, I walked around my classroom with a football. Did you? Yeah, I taught order. Um, you couldn't talk unless you had the football in your hand. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kids I had had extreme emotional issues and stuff like that. Like, you couldn't be in my class unless you were labeled emotionally disturbed. 
so not getting called on could cause them to have a meltdown. Um, calling on them could cause them to have a meltdown. Them not feeling like doing work. But I, I put some things in place. I put systems in place. And I treated it like I learned so much playing football. We had our itinerary. We knew what we were doing from 7 to 8, 8 to 9, 9 to 10, 10 to 11. And I had so much resilience and grit and exposure on the field, and I didn't transfer any of that to the classroom. So all I did was transfer all that, that activity that we did in the classroom. Like, you know, if I threw you the ball, you could talk. That's the only way you could talk. If you ain't got the ball, you can't talk. Everybody wants to catch the ball. If they drop it, some people couldn't catch. <laughs> so they might have <laughs> dropped it like six or seven times. But in that, I'm teaching resilience. Mm -hmm. Now you're not giving up. We don't give up no matter what. Um, so I was teaching order. I taught resilience. I used those transferable skills that I had on the field, put them into the classroom to give myself some discipline, and then I implemented the same thing for the kids. They even did a, did a study where they took some kids from a lower socioeconomical um, neighborhood, and they put them through really, really strenuous physical activities. Mm -hmm. And they were willing to go close to death to finish those mm -hmm. because of the way they've been indoctrinated about what they can do with their mind, with their bodies. And then we had to transfer that understanding to the mind. Then a, that what we have to do is get them to understand that your value is in here, mm -hmm. not just in your body. Because mm -hmm. your body can fail you at some point, but your right. mind will never fail you. So I use a lot of different lessons that I learned on the field. So, you know, correlate. I even break the day down. We got the first quarter, we got the second quarter, we got the third, we got the fourth quarter. You know, we got to finish strong. Mm -hmm. You know, I let them know it's a marathon. Uh, some days are going to be better than others. But it's just a lot of different things that we use in football uh, that we use in the classroom. And the kids are so engaged in sports anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're in Houston, so, you know, of course they thought J.J. Watt was the top guy. But after right. him, it was me. Cause I made them watch my football videos on YouTube. You made them watch your videos? Oh yeah, they loved them. They loved them. That was an incentive. You did good. Well, let's let's get a couple minutes. We can watch Mr. Carroll football video. Really? Yeah, I was their hero. You know what wow. I'm saying? Wow. But when you're a positive figure as a male in their life and you're investing in them, right? And you know we're spiritual beings, so that that love is infectious. So they they felt that energy, and I really was the dad of the classroom. I had mm -hmm. in one of my self-contained classes, which was one of my most rowdiest class where I learned my most less the most lessons I ever did in life about myself. Um, I had twelve kids in that class, and I was, you know, I was I was the daddy, mm -hmm. you know, because most of them in that community, uh, parents were in jail, mom and dad in jail a lot of times, wow. or displaced, or even passed away. Mm -hmm. So I had to fill that role, but because I gave them so much love and mm -hmm. so much affirmation and validation. It made the teaching aspect after about two months, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. After about two months, the teaching aspect was easy. When I said read, they read. Because I looked in their folders. Like you said, you look at, I look in their folders, and I see all these bad, I mean, their folders were this thick. Mm -hmm. Second, third grade, I'm like, how do they have all these labels? How how you have all these labels that young? And I just was consistent with them, high expectations. And I loved on them. I, told, I even told my students I loved them. I checked them at the door to see their temperaments. Cause a lot of them might have been battling with depression and mm -hmm. drama and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Check that at the door. Um, use that to guide where I would sit people. Make sure proximity was very oh, important. Wow. All those different things, and as a result of that, everything was smooth. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, have any of your kids ever come back? Like, did you ever teach high school? Yeah. Okay. No, did I still keep in touch. Well, I mentor. Um, my first year teaching, it was a kid. He wasn't in my class. Usually, kids don't want to be in a special education mm -hmm. class. Everybody wanted to be in a special ed class when I was a teacher. It was a kid that wasn't even in my class who I, um, he just remembered me from the school. 
but I mentor him. He's one of my cameramen when I go do my speaking events. Oh. Yep, a number of kids. Uh, I keep in touch with the number ones. Some yes. help get some in college to play ball. Um, you know, so yeah. Well, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'm not gonna keep you because I know you're busy and we have other stuff to do, yeah. but. Before we wrap, what one thing I always ask is how can we support you? So if anybody that's listening or watching, um, how can we support you um, on in life, in real life, mm -hmm. on social media, what have you? Um, I know you have a company called Brian Carroll and Associates. Yes. Do you guys have anything coming up or are you working on anything special that mm -hmm. you wanna highlight while I have you? Um. July, we haven't put the date out there yet, but in July, towards the end of July, we're gonna do a football camp. Um, yes, there's gonna be some special guests, uh, sports agents, NFL guys, a lot of fun activities. We're gonna have room for vendors and stuff like that. Um, the big push is using your mind to win the game of life, you know, because I mean, athletes make a lot of money. You mm -hmm. get exposed to traveling all around the country. How many people take advantage of all of those networking opportunities and becoming a businessman, an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, and utilizing and leveraging the power that you have. So that's one thing we're going to do. Um, uh, one thing you can support me is by reading to your kids. You know, that's my thing, reading. Essentially, every test, everything you do has everything to do with reading, mm -hmm. you know, and comprehension. One in four in Harris County are considered illiterate. And that's overall. That's not even considered in the poor communities well, where it's even higher, Well, you know. So uh, I want I, when you just said that it made me think of something else that's in your book. How, why did you include the last section of your book? So in the last section of Brian, so in the last section of Brian's book, let me see if I can show it. The last section of Brian's book, there are activities. So there's a crossword puzzle. It is a. I'm sorry. Trying to hurt. Turn the pages. <laughs> There is a draw a picture, synonyms. Fill in a blank, synonyms. There is a draw a picture. There's a whole list of activities in the back of this book. So why was it important for you to include the, the activities in there? Was it to see if the kids comprehended what they read? That's the key, because um, communication is not just me talking, it's you understanding. Just right. like reading isn't me just stating the words, it's me understanding what I'm reading. And a lot of times, educators or people, parents, they get so caught up on um, just delivering the instruction and they forget about the understanding. And they get frustrated when people don't understand, but they never check themselves. They never yeah. look at themselves like, well, maybe I didn't convey it right, or maybe this person is an audio learner, this person is a tactile learner. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This person is um, kinesthetic. You know, so I wanted to put something for different learning styles, and I wanted to put something to spark the different creativities in the kid. Because you don't want to just say you read super sharing. I want you to say, I really understand what it means to share and not to recycle my pain. Yeah, you know? and one last thing, you, as you keep talking, I keep thinking of more stuff. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to touch on when it comes to recycling, recycling the pain, is that, do people recycle that pain in the form of bullying? Mm-hmm. Okay, and have you experienced that while you were teaching? Yes. And if so, how did you handle it? I've, I've seen it. Um, <laughs> From the kids, one thing I do is I, I want people to be comfortable with their own truth. Like explaining how, how did that make you feel? Don't be shy to tell that. And I also want to understand why the bully's doing it. Because 100% right. of the time, they've been bullied mm. and hurt people. 
hurt people. Mm -hmm. You know, I've even had to see that with staff members. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll, they'll tell the kids not to bully, and then they bully mm -hmm. somebody. You know, they, you're writing somebody up just because, because mm -hmm. you don't like them. Mm -hmm. um, so trying to build empathy, that's one thing I'm big on. Right. I feel like that's, that's, that would be healing for the world, right. that we would empathize with each other. A lot of people that have been done wrong, think about a kid that's growing up in a, a, a diaspora that is just a jungle, and he's experiencing trauma, and he's living based off survival. He's going to be less empathetic when somebody gets robbed because he's seen it. Mm -hmm. He's going to be less empathetic and he's desensitized to gunshots because he's heard them. Mm -hmm. So we want we want we don't want that stuff to be normalized, right. and we want the kids to understand how important it is to respect and care and love on each other, so that we can stop all of this, you know, the racism, the hate. Mm -hmm. You know, the bullying. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'm big on is self-bullying. There's seven styles of bullying. But one thing is, instead of me trying to get everybody to, it's easier for me, like with my own child, my daughter, I want her to be an extremely independent, loving, and strong person within herself. So she's not dependent on the validation of everybody else. Right. You know, she get validation from daddy every day. You know, I always tell her, she, I love her, she's beautiful. And she only, she's not even two yet. You know what I'm saying? But I'm mm -hmm. always constantly giving her authentic, validation and love mm -hmm. so to combat that if we build the right type of self-esteem within the kids they won't be bullying themselves because a lot of times they're basing how they feel about themselves based on what they see on social media or what somebody tells them right but if they can understand who they are and whose they are and how important and how powerful they are whether they look like the prototypical man or woman or whether they're, they're an athlete or not they'll be better off you know yeah well, I think that's really powerful what you just said, because um, one of the things when I was when I was teaching, I focused on empathy too, because mm -hmm. I, I realized how uh, much kids needed it, mm -hmm. how much adults need it, and then how it was lacking. Yeah. So one of the things that was my biggest pet peeve was I felt that adults uh, didn't really care, yeah, and I felt like they they felt like these some of the kids were problematic be just because. And it wasn't a just because thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I always did, even as I was teaching, my goal was to always prepare my kids for life outside of my classroom mm -hmm. because the real world is very different than school. But one of the things that I did was I tried to empathize with where they were. So I know like one kid would tell me, you know, Miss Brown, I didn't eat today. Okay, do you need me to give you some money to go to lunch? And from a teacher perspective, that's probably not the best thing to do, probably not even the right thing to do. But because my heart was there with him, and I'm like, no, you need to eat. But that's going to do more for him. Right. He'll remember that 30 years from now. Right. And there's a theory called the social bond theory. Mm -hmm. It's important for us to create social bonds. And a lot of times those are created through people's careers, the school, um, the church organization, religious organizations, and stuff like that. People are less likely to do something when they have accountability, mm -hmm. i.e. they have something to live for. Yeah. So kids on a football team always do well during football season. The drop-off comes after football season. So we have to stay, you know, it takes a village. So we have to stay community. We have to have different aspects of the community that are coming in and holding the kids accountable, giving them options, keeping them, you know, focused. So these social bonds are really important. You created a bond with him. You know, he's not going to remember that great lesson that the, that you might have got on a checklist from the mm -hmm. AP from, but the fact that, man, when I was hungry, mm -hmm. she fed me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, I mean, I think, and I don't know how to turn that off, and that's yeah. why I've always been successful. I probably ain't even learned how to teach like my third year teaching, but I always know how to build relationships. Same. You know, mm -hmm. so it's just that love 
and that's infectious, and that's that's what the kids really need. They just want somebody to talk to, somebody to care about them. And when you can do that, they'll run for they'll run through a wall for you. Yeah. They they will try their best, you know. Amen. They they try to pronounce that word. They're gonna do whatever they gotta do, and that's how you build that right culture. Because, you know, we build the right culture and make the right things socially accepted among the youth and the adults. I feel like that's the key to you know changing society. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And um, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so I much think for your, having me. I think your book is amazing, and I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. Um, but I think it's amazing. I think that every student and any teachers that are out there should definitely go get it. And I think that if you have a kid or if you have, if you're a parent and you have uh, kids, I think you should read it with your kids because mm-hmm. um, I think that it will help just the society as a whole. So thank you so much for being here. Thank it's you been for a pleasure. Me. So, everybody, this is going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you so much for allowing me to come on your screens. And thank you for watching my interview with uh, Brian Carroll. And I hope that you go out and get a copy of Super Sharing. And I hope you enjoy it. Bye, guys. Thank you.